All right. Welcome, everybody, to an episode of Need Some Introduction. <laughs> We've literally just finished watching this episode of Better Call Saul. So we're, <laughs> I'm a little shocked. Moments ago. <laughs> just moments ago. And uh, so this is going to be a true after show today. <laughs> so this is going to be the least edited we've probably ever been on this show. But just a quick reminder that uh, this is obviously the last episode. So there will be much content coming. I honestly don't know exactly what we'll be covering here. But if you watch the show tonight, you probably saw the trailer for Top Gun and uh, for the Obi-Wan Kenobi show, both things that we will be covering in this next week. But with that out of the way, <laughs> let's get right into this episode. Holy cow, the, the, the dark place this thing ends in the last moments compared to the zaniness of... Uh, I was about to say, to think I was so annoyed with the zany capers and it was all leading to this. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so let's start uh, breaking this down. As I mentioned in the previous episode, the titles here are have this and motif going on. And today it's plan and execution. Of course, this oh. is D-Day. We're executing our plan. But first, someone else and was executing the plan. <laughs> <laughs> Lalo has emerged from his little hidey hole. <laughs> he puts on his slippers. Turns out I have no idea how <laughs> the uh, truck stops actually work because you can get a shower Same. at a truck stop. Did not know this. No, no. And even that, I was like, okay, makes sense. But that was a yep. nice bathroom. Yeah, exactly. It was nicer than the bathroom I have at home. <laughs> and, and and their personal break, he has an actual key for private yeah. bathrooms. Yeah. And they and go past like a little a nice laundry. fluffy towel. Yeah. And they have like a little laundry that he walks past. So like, I guess, I mean, I never thought about this, but I guess when you're on the road as a trucker, Hey, you have these amenities. Hey, I did not know <laughs> something. I, I learned something new today. <laughs> Live and learn as I always say. And also his flip-flops looked quite comfy. Also <laughs> <laughs> he did after spending a whole day with his, uh, what do you call those things? Uh, those uh, overalls, those rubber overalls. Which yeah. The must coveralls. Be very uncomfortable. <laughs> the, uh, you're putting on his flip-flops, very cozy. And how long does he set on the egg timer? Is that one hour? Is that what he gets one hour a it day? It seemed like just an hour. And I don't know why he wouldn't just buy an air mattress or something so that he could sleep comfortably in that little area that he was in. But yeah, I mean, I mean he must be it doesn't seem worthwhile to do a one hour car nap. <laughs> right. I don't know how much that can do for you. And he was like, I don't for... know if you're even going to get into REM sleep at that point. <laughs> right. And we find out that it's he's there, been there for four days. Uh, we find out mm -hmm. later. And uh, turns out he's eyeballing the laundromat from inside, uh, right at the sewer grating. So it's just weird how everybody has these little, uh, you know, everybody's very clever in, in every single episode about how they're spying on each other. And someone, they always just keep one-upping each other <laughs> one way or the other. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, we get to Jimmy needs a reshoot. I love the way that they unfold the scene, by the way, where we hear this guy and he's like, what is he talking about? Oh, he's practicing lines. Of course, he's mm -hmm. an actor. And it costs $500 for him to walk away from his probably, probably minimum wage job yes. in 20 years. This is probably set in 2005 or so. So 15 I years ago, so. 500 bucks is probably his weekly salary. <laughs> so he needs a reshoot. <laughs> I love this when he tells us to buckle up because he doesn't want to fly through the windshield. <laughs> he's yeah, so this is actually right. I, this is what I was thinking in those last moments of last week of like, well, could you go to the, you know, I didn't understand why they didn't get a sling, right? They did a cast. Right. But, you know, I was thinking you could go to the medical supply store, you could get the sling, you've got to reconvene everybody. It could be done. And it, it turns out it could be done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I guess the biggest issue is getting the photos developed and shot and everything right. and getting it onto the desk because that they obviously can't just slip them the folder. It has to go through the PI. Right. And then we find out the whole situation with the PI, of course. We see that this, uh, <laughs> with this uh, 
pompous young director that he's been using throughout the course of the show is, I guess, doing, uh, he's like a, an adjunct teacher at the community college mm-hmm, or something. Mm-hmm. I do also like that their production assistant is dressed up for her Dark Crystal musical. <laughs> I like the costume. <laughs> yes, it was very cute. And then we have the whole little drama. You know, he needs to know his motivation for this one shot across the lawn, <laughs> <laughs> as usual. And uh, they turns out they needed that drug. That the reason they were doing like a dermal test of it was because they're going to put it onto the photographs. So a part of this plot I had totally not seen coming at all. What do you think about that? Yeah, whole part of it? I mean... The, this show is so well-constructed that I'm sure this is a real thing that somebody researched that could happen. It seems very improbable. Yes, yes <laughs> I agree. It seems extremely improbable that they would have to put such a concentrated dose on here to make sure he can get enough to, you know, for it to have the effect. Yeah, it seems like at the least you would have to rub your eyes or like do something to get it more directly into your bloodstream, but... And I mean, I the know, way, when they tested it with him on Saul, you know, he just puts it on his arm. So it's possible that it doesn't need to be that. Uh, but I just was thinking more about the fact that, you know, basically you would have to put like a huge concentration. Right. Because you're putting it work. on the photo, then you're putting the photo in the envelope and right. then it's sitting for a while and paper is, you know, somewhat absorbent. Right. Right. So, yeah, this seems a little sketchy. And I just feel like they'd probably have to put way too much on it for this thing to even work. And then potentially, like if he handles them too long, you give the guy like a heart attack or something. Right? It's like <laughs> I mean, they did make a, a note of him realizing the photos had something on them. So they did yeah. try and yeah, he notices right away that it's carry um, it through that right. it's not something that's like so undetectable. Oh, and then we find out another interesting thing I did not know. And I assume once again, I, I trust the guys on this show that this is actually true. But if you drop a soda on the ground, you can use centripetal force yes. to keep it from blowing up. Really helpful hack there. Yes, very much. Thank you, Howard. And thank you, Chuck. <laughs> yeah. I mean, although my initial instinct would have been like, you know, you just put those over on the side and let them settle for a bit before you put them in the refrigerator. Not <laughs> yes, take the time to spin each individual soda can. But that's me. <laughs> but I mean, it still seems like if it works to that degree that, I mean, if you personally are handling the can, seems like a good solution because I have definitely dropped the sure. can you know, in the supermarket, brought it home and forget that like it explodes when I get it home. <laughs> yes. And you know what I thought was going to happen is what has happened to me when I have dropped a soda can on the floor is somehow it hits at precisely that angle that <laughs> yes. allows it to find the weak spot in the can and puncture it. And then soda goes spraying everywhere. everywhere and you will <laughs> never find it all in order to clean it up. Meanwhile, my whole entire uh, time I'm watching this, when we get back to the the court proceeding or this uh, mediation, I was just terrified given the fact that this was probably a very concentrated dose of this thing. I was like, please don't touch that old lady. Don't, don't touch anybody. You're going to kill, so- kill somebody in that room. I did not even think of that. But on the mediation, I wanted to say that I was very relieved to see that they explained the phone line, the conference call line yes, was yes. for out-of-state class representatives yes. and not every single class member are somehow being present for mediation, which would be complete chaos. So it did make sense to me. You do when you have a nationwide class action, depending on the laws of the states that you're in, you're going to have to appoint a different class rep for different states because the laws are different. We generally try and group those together, but that is... Definitely inside baseball to get into why you do that. So um, all of it 
added up. What did not add up for me is, um, you know, you had brought up the twenty thousand mm-hmm. dollars and Jimmy knowing that someone was following him and doing this on purpose. And I kind of had discarded the idea that the twenty thousand dollars would be in connection with this idea of bribing the mediator, because to me, maybe I'm just used to New York City prices. Twenty thousand dollars is not that much for a bribe. It is 15 years ago and it is New Mexico. So I guess so. I mean, the <laughs> last time I saw mediators rates, they were like thirteen hundred an hour. Wow. So, I mean, obviously, it's not like the mediator just puts thirteen hundred dollars an hour in his pocket. But still, like, you know, if they'll do a full eight hours work, they do the prep work. I mean, you pay a lot for a mediator, at least a really good mediator or a really well, a, a really reputable mediator. So to me and again, I was thinking in maybe not to 20, 2022 prices, but like 2015 ish prices. Right. Um, a, to me, 20,000 would not be enough to bribe a mediator, but maybe it is in 2005 in New Mexico. <laughs> exactly. Well, their real estate prices are much lower, especially back then. Mm. I, don't know, I don't know how that counts for other <laughs> fees though. <laughs> and you know what? I, I have to call out the, the quality of the structuring of the show in the fact that I knew all of these things were going to happen. Every single one of the things that happened. And yet when everybody gets into that room, I got a little rush of adrenaline. I was like feeling, <laughs> feeling the plan come together. I don't, you know, I'm like, I'm like, this, this should have no effect on me at this point because I knew exactly what was going to happen. But no surprises here. It still worked. Yeah, exactly. I did like the punchline there. Of course, everything goes exactly to plan. You see Howard start freaking out. He puts it all together. They, of, of course, it's like the whole idea of inception. You can't tell them everything. You have to let him solve the puzzle himself. So then he figures out, oh, I just figured out what Jimmy's been trying to do, <laughs> right? So it gives him more vested in his own uh, theory of the case. Mm-hmm. But I do love when he runs out to be like, someone swapped the photos and he just gets more and more conspiratorial with the, this whole description. Well, of what it reminded me of was, you know, the thing with Jimmy's brother all over again, yes, right? Yes, yep. Where someone now has appeared so unhinged that yep. even though they're saying the exact thing that happened, right. they have no credibility left. And it sounds like the rantings of an insane person. Exactly. Exactly. And that's exactly how it is it, to that point that even if what they're saying is true, like this kind of what happens with a uh, cliff. And I have to have a question for you uh, on how you feel about that cliff scene that comes up pretty soon thereafter, that even when you see all of that, that it, uh, you're still just thinking like, well, it doesn't matter like if you're right or not, like that this today was a disaster, right? Like period. That's just what it comes down to. So. It's like the same deal with the Mesa Verde bank address, right? Right, right. Exactly. Yep. You exactly. know, it just sounds crazy. They switched a number and that's the reason everything blew up and blah, blah, blah. Like it sounds like someone that is completely unhinged and they are saying it in a way that's kind of unhinged too. Right. So, <laughs> so even though they are exactly spot on about this plot, it sounds so crazy crazy and you're relating it in such a weird manner that nobody believes you. It's like a, the worst version of gaslighting, I guess. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then we have, first of all, a very funny uh, scene here where a cliff storms out. I mean, storms out after Howard, I should say that when that whole thing plays out that the, uh, the class representative says, yes. is this how these usually go? <laughs> <laughs> is this typical? <laughs> So the question I had for you was, how do you think from a legal perspective and just from a plot perspective, you think the whole scene where, you know, Cliff and Howard are now in the office and Howard has figured it all out. He goes, look, my eyes are not dilated anymore. I don't know how they Mm -hmm. did this, but I've been played. And you just see Cliff saying, look, it doesn't matter. We're just like weakened position now, et cetera. So I was curious, like if that's that read all reads all true for you. 
a hundred percent accurate. And especially as a plaintiff's attorney to say, here's where we are today. Here's the risk that we're taking. Here's how long it's going to take us to get to trial. Here's how much we're going to spend to get to trial. How much are you going to recover once you factor in all the additional cost and time and everything of getting there? Because it is immensely expensive to go to trial. Um, I mean, that's basically what plaintiff's lawyers are doing every single day is calculating what is the value of this case on this day and what will the value of this case be 18 months from now when we finally get in the courtroom and does it make sense to carry on or does it make sense to take this amount now because it's um, in essence, it's the same amount of money. You know what I mean? Like you might get a million dollars a year from now, but if you spent a million dollars more in costs and expenses and in time, uh, you don't, you're in the same place you started, except you've wasted it that much more lawyer time and expenses. Then in that regard, what you're describing there and just this whole conversation they have, it seems like this was a very good plot from Saul and Kim for the fact that even if the, you know, the dose that they put on the photographs wasn't enough to fully, you know, dilate his pupils or give him, uh, you know, all of the symptoms they were expecting, that this thing still would have probably looked like paranoid rantings and probably still would have ended up in the same situation, right? So they they had uh, enough ammunition there already to, for this thing to execute successfully. Because any kind of any, um, you know, kind of a um, monkey wrench they threw into the works would probably lead to this a similar result, right? Where they would probably try to settle as quickly as possible. Yes, I guess we're not accounting for the possibility, though, that the mediation would have been even more successful in the plaintiff's favor. True, true. <clears throat> right, because sometimes you get in front of the mediator and the mediator somehow can talk some sense into the other party in a way that you have not been able to. Or that just, you know, an outside party saying, I've seen cases like this before. You're not going to get out of this for less than X dollars. So start thinking in that range. Right. Interesting. So maybe the mediation itself would have gotten them similar to uh, similar results without <laughs> taking Howard down and, and much exactly. Worse, much worse. Yeah. Which I mean, we'll never know. Exactly. Good point. I mean, I've seen mediators work miracles and I've seen mediators make things worse than they started. So. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Kim and Saul are listening to all this happen, the plot executing perfectly. And we see in the, in the background, <laughs> slightly out of focus that they are going to bone town together. <laughs> So, Which is interesting, considering yes. we're talking about how you never see that with them. Exactly. So this is always like we've seen before with the whole scams they pulled together. This is the real fire in their relationship, basically. But it almost feels like that kind of horror movie situation of like a couple's having sex, something bad's going to happen. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, it does, right? Sure does. <laughs> then we jump back to our friend Lalo who sounds equally crazy on his rantings on his video tape, by the way. <laughs> I did like all the paralleling here. First of all, that, you know, Lalo's smiling to the camera going like, I know you think I'm crazy, but I'm going to prove, get you the proof. And then you'll have the proof at least, and we can talk about it later. So, and I'm thinking at that moment that maybe that's the paralleling they're making that he's like the Howard in this situation, who's like yes. getting gaslit by the circumstance rather than by specifically by somebody. Yeah, lots of use of uh, camcorders in this episode as well. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Good point. And then we see that uh, he calls Hector and he hears some clicking on the line. Is that what happened? Yes. I could not figure out what put him onto the idea that the chicken man was listening. Well, you know what? I 
only knew this, by the way, because I had my subtitles on and it literally says on the subtitles it, uh-huh. while he's waiting. You hear it, it. It tells you like literally tells you the song you're listening to. You know how they tell you this is the song. <laughs> so they give you like the song uh-huh. credits. And then you hear and, and then in that description underneath it, like in a block of text, it says clicking on the line. Uh, so I, mean, I usually I, honestly, watch I don't know with subtitles on so. and uh, something's wrong with my app and it's not displaying subtitles anymore. So uh, big loss for me because I was just staring at the TV going, how did he know? <laughs> yeah. So there's that clicking online. We actually hear it the second time he speaks also calls back, I should say. And this time, of course, he uses that very cleverly. Mm-hmm to force them to show their hands, which is funny because in the original video, he's like, that guy over there, he's got a gun under his shirt. I know he does. Sounds like mm-hmm. a total, total uh, uh, <laughs> nut job. But, um, you know, of course they all come out in droves. That He should have been videotaping that, by the way. <laughs> yes, he regrouped very quickly. Yeah, he did, he did. I also like, as far as just juxtaposing him with, you know, the paranoid rantings of Howard, I also liked the parallel here of, you know, we have uh, Kim and Saul making this very elaborate scheme to manipulate everybody. And it's like, you know, they planned this out for months and they storyboard it and they had like chemicals and, P, you know, PIs that they intercepted. And we do find that out, by the way, I, I forgot to call that out, but, you know, it is basically mm-hmm. what he did last time where they did the same thing. It was the exact same PI scam they pulled uh, a few seasons ago where they simply changed the contact information with the secretary and then that's it. Right. So now they got their mm-hmm. man inside. So it was like, once again, just the same scam they pulled previously. And um, so I'm thinking like, well, here's uh, you know this very elaborate plan. And then you see uh, Lalo manipulates everybody <laughs> and he just comes up with this plan on the fly. It takes about three seconds to come up with this plan <laughs> and uh, has a, a similar uh, result. Yep. And uh, you know, they go to see the chicken man who's giving out one of his uh, scholarships to one of the schools <clears throat> And, uh, you know, they warn him that, uh, you know, plan B uh, or plan A, I guess, was originally that they're coming. He's coming for Gus at his house. And uh, so what's the plan there? They're going to have the house all ready to go. They're assuming Lalo's going to the house and they're leaving some like a skeleton crew of security back at the laundromat. Right. Is that the plan? That's what I took from it. Yes. And I guess because he wants to get into the laundromat just to get the proof, he doesn't actually want to, you know, kill Gus or anything at that moment. I guess he wants to have that proof more so. I mean, I guess he wouldn't mind killing Gus, although maybe he's, Gus is still untouchable until he has proof to go after I him. assumed he was attending to kill Gus. Yeah. Well, the only reason I say that it might still be untouchable is that um, his uh, uncle is adamantly against him killing True. the chicken man, right? When he, uh, when he announces that that's his original plan. <clears throat> True. And I guess they're running short on Salamancas. I mean, eventually they'll have, no, they'll have zero Salamancas, right? After Breaking Bad, they literally call that out mm-hmm. at that point. But I guess he's worried about running out of Salamancas. <laughs> but at this moment in time, he still has the twins kicking around. Ugh, the murder twins. <laughs> and then we see, here we are close to the end, we see that Saul and Kim are having their usual nightly routine of watching some classic movies mm-hmm. on television. Snuggling on the couch. And then Howard is the one who knocks <laughs> mm-hmm. at first, right? <laughs> Someone else. And I thought Kim is really relaxed considering she knows Lala is still out there. Yeah, she should have warned uh, Saul. Saul you, yeah. That's a good point. I hadn't even thought about that. Saul must be really flabbergasted at this moment when he does. Yeah. I mean, I guess she was just really riding that high of, of everything going her way because she was totally chill. And then 
So how do you think, what do you think about this whole scene where Howard confronts the two of them? Well, I thought it was interesting that at first, Jimmy kind of seems like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, and then exactly. after a couple of minutes, he's just, he doesn't explicitly say, yep, you got, you got us. We did it. But he seems to be conceding that like, yes, we did this, but telling him you're fine. You're going to, you're going to be okay. Um, you know, which I don't know that I've ever felt before tonight, sympathy for Howard, but tonight I really did. Yeah, I think they really want us to feel some sympathy for him too. Well, he's seeing what was coming, sure. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Given this the last chance you have found for sympathy. I didn't know at the time I was feeling the sympathy that that's what was going to happen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. And unfortunately, that is a, you know, a, a pattern in the show. <laughs> I mean, everything Howard was saying was exactly spot on, right? Yep. Yep. Of like, what is it with you two? Why yep. did you need to yep. do this to me? What did I ever do that was so awful? Right. I will say being put on a document production is pretty awful, but did it warrant <laughs> this? Probably not. Um, you know, he was completely spot on to the point of, you know, saying you're just getting a high from this. And that's what's really driving this more than anything else. There is nothing specific about me or what I've done to you. It's that like you love the thrill of this. Right. Right. And he calls out um, Kim as well for, uh, you know, he even says, Two things to, to what you mentioned, actually. First is that I do find it interesting that he is not fessing up to it, which I understand, by the way, because he's been caught on tape before sure. admitting to something. Right. Sure. So and even, you know, he is cautious that even when the conversation gets um, close to him admitting what's going on, he still doesn't say like we did it. He just no, says, he never land. explicitly says it. He just says you're going to land on your feet. Right. Which could yeah. be like, oh, I heard you screwed up today. So right. don't worry about it. You're going to land on your feet. So it could be right. completely innocuous uh, if you read it that way. But yeah, I found it very interesting for him to, you know, go after Kim to telling her like, you know, you were like a great legal mind and you're doing this. Like, why would you choose to do this? And uh, that's when uh, he gets, Saul gets defensive about her. And then of course, like something out of a horror movie, <laughs> we see oh my a God, shape the in the background. Yes. You see the candle flicker and then you see a shape out of focus in the background. And we know right away, like, oh my God, it's Lalo. Where did he even come from? I mean, I guess he just was eyeballing. Was the door ajar and he walked in through the front door? Yeah. I assume that when Howard came in, you know, he just like let him in and they didn't mm. close the door behind. Right. And he just kind of walked in behind him. And uh, he puts a silencer on the gun and he shoots Howard. And I am pretty sure, I mean, there are gunshots you can recover from. And th this show doesn't seem like the kind of show that, first of all, cheats that way. A lot, a lot of times you, know, you do have these shows where someone gets shot in the head and somehow survives. And people do get shot in the head and survive, by the way. But I have a feeling that this is not one of those <laughs> situations. I think he is dead. Yeah. And my husband pointed out as much as we compare Ozark to this show and say, you know, Ozark is a ghost of what Better Call Saul or Breaking Bad is. Mm -hmm. um, very reminiscent of Ozark in the final moments to have someone have a gunshot to the head that stuns yeah. you. Yeah, true. Good point. And uh, yeah, and that's where we leave things, you know, in this crazy cliffhanger at this moment. <laughs> and we have to wait six or seven weeks before the next episode. So <laughs> how are you feeling about that? Um. You know what? I'm okay with the wait. This was like a good um, mix of what could possibly happen next and some kind of closure, I think. Um, I mean, bleak closure. Yeah. To see that, like, you know, what 
um, Saul, Jimmy, and Kim have set into motion ended this way, right? Because were it not for them, uh, Howard would be alive, exactly. making his lattes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're living you in know. a guest house at that giant uh, mansion he lives in. Yeah, I mean, just wrong place, wrong time, but wow, in a big way. You know, and you wonder, right, is this, knowing that Kim does not make it into the Breaking Bad universe, Mm -hmm. is it the trauma of this sends her running because she realizes, like, this awful, awful dark side to what she did just to have a thrill? Right. Or is it that she's running from Lalo and she gets a vacuum cleaner disappeared or... Or what? Like I, the possibilities are very interesting to me. Yeah, I think that that's the most interesting part about it. Uh, obviously, he can't kill Kim right now because then Saul's just not going to do anything. Saul really only has any kind of, you know, um, commitment to Kim at this point. He doesn't have any family or any other. It's not like he can threaten his wife and kids and and his friends. I mean, that, Kim is his wife, <laughs> right? So yeah. it's like mm-hmm. that, that's like the only thing that he really cares about. So they can obviously he can obviously threaten her, and that is a motivator for. Kim. And then, you know, we know that Gus doesn't die. <laughs> so we know exactly. that it's more about exactly the, the, the conundrum you, you mentioned, which I agree. I, at this moment, think that it is, she is going to have this ho- horrible reckoning, having Howard said those, say those things to her. And I think yeah. she did take him to heart. And then he dies on top of everything mm-hmm. else. Right? And she thinks to herself, like, what was the reason I did all that? Right. Yes. And uh, what has, uh, Saul, you know, not to his, I mean, she in a lot of ways manipulates Saul just as much as he man- manipulates her unintentionally or intentionally, regardless. And I think that she's going to have to ask herself, like, uh, this is not good. <laughs> Us right. together is not good. Right. Right. But she could be, you're, you could be right also that, you know, he could disappear her and maybe they, um, you know, go, run off together. So to that point, did you see the little bonus moment that came up at the after the show? I think you missed it because you jumped. You, you sent me the text message immediately. But did you did you see that? Was it the black and white apartment? Yes, yes. I did. And what was um, what was it that he was saying over it? I'm trying to remember something about like it could have all been perfect or oh, he says and after we could have all, had a happily ever after. He says and after all that, a happy ending. That's what he says. And then it just says better call Saul, July 11. So, right. I mean, I don't know if that means it's going to actually be a happy ending or if it's, uh, you know, an I- ironic um, statement. So, you know, I, I, don't, I wouldn't read too much into that, but I did find it interesting that they leave us that little mm. tidbit. So I have a few interesting bits of trivia that I thought you might like. Let's hear it. So one is that I just read an interview today with um, Peter Gould, one of the showrunners, saying mm-hmm. that. They did not, when they wrote the scripts and started putting the show together, they did not know that AMC was going to split the show in half. So this was not planned to be a cliffhanger. Very interesting. I also find it very interesting, like you said, not only that this is turns out to be a cliffhanger, you know, almost inadvertently, because because they wouldn't be as traumatic, obviously, if we saw the result of what happens next in the very next episode. But I also find it very interesting that this scam with Howard has been running from the very beginning of this mini season. And it seems like a perfect exclamation point at the end of this thing that, you know, they execute and he dies, right? Like this seems like a a very intentional thing, which just turned out to be this is where they split the episode. So interesting uh, that it really does feel like a complete statement in its own way. Do you think that's the case or do you think they maybe somehow re-edited it? 
to Maybe put. they changed it. I, I wouldn't be surprised if because somewhere we've along been the way. Yeah. Questioning why it's so Howard heavy. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> so I'm just wondering if maybe they crammed more of this storyline in the front half in order to have that mid-season finale. But I don't know much about television production and what is or isn't possible or any of that. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised, even though they said that that maybe during the planning stages, they are actually telling the truth. But like you mentioned, maybe this all would have been four episodes or maybe the plot wouldn't have kicked in with Howard until later on in the season. And then it they're has like, well, felt kind of unbalanced to me yes, how much time we spent on it, yeah. given the payoff was very big, but it still feels unbalanced even then. Right. Right. I mean, now it makes more sense considering where we end yes. up. But I agree that at the moment it did seem like we, we questioned it multiple times. <laughs> <during these recaps, laughs> right. <laughs> Well, you started it, and then the I jumped on board. The reason we spent so much time is because that plot is now complete. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And storyline is done. <laughs> exactly. All right. So the next um, tidbit that you might find interesting is that they mentioned also in this interview that the colors that the characters wear are indicative of like kind of their moral compass. So this is where I thought you might be interested in this. That red is an indicator on the show. Whenever you see red. That when, you know, Saul wears the red tie and then in the artwork for the season, right, you see him putting the red jacket on. So red is like a symbol for criminality, right? Interesting. So when you see red popping up more and more that you that that's like kind of their color coding for that. And blue, on the other hand, is more like someone who's more uh, morally upstanding. So this is like kind of the two. uh, These are not that they are opposites, but these are the two uh, symbolic uh, coatings that they have. And for example, today, I just noticed that after reading this interview, that when Gus is giving out the uh, scholarship money and everything, he's mm-hmm. in a blue suit and a blue tie. So it's like, you know, it's like mm-hmm. he is presenting himself as this upstanding guy. And he, has that been the case throughout the seasons or just for this season? I think it's throughout the seasons because the examples they give, which I think are interesting, the examples they give are, first of all, that Kim used to always wear blue. I, I think that's suit. right. Yeah. And uh, they, uh, in this article that I'm reading, actually, uh, in the same interview, that they have some photographs here and that she has started to wear red. There's red in her clothing. But more importantly, she has worn like when she goes to have dinner or have lunch with um, Cliff, she has like this floral print on her shirt and it's purple. So very intentionally, they're like, we're blending oh. red and blue together, which of course mm-hmm. is purple, right? So that's kind of Just pink in the last scene here. Yeah, good point. That's a, I hadn't thought about the specific last scene there, but I think that's interesting too because it is a red, but a it light caught red. my eye because I don't think I've ever seen Kim in pink before. And the other place that they I bring this up also is that um, Nacho, because he's usually a bad guy, is oftentimes wearing red, but hmm. when he dies, he's wearing a white shirt, and the pattern on the shirts make like little crosses on them, like little, uh, you know, it's like intentionally like not crucifixes, but just like like a cross pattern mm-hmm. that uh, kind of looks like crosses, even in the still frame that they include here. And it's that he kind of goes through like a purification process and now yes. he's like ready to die, basically. Right? So he's like lost his color. He's just, you know, wearing a light shirt. So it's kind of interesting that they're kind of color coding things. The next thing you might find interesting is that throughout the whole entire episode, the whole entire season of television, that things that were in that very opening montage, things that we saw have been exposed retroactively over the course of the I think I heard that somewhere else too. And the examples they gave, I had completely missed, except for, of course, the tequila stopper. Right. 
And uh, one of them was, for example, the notepad. We actually see someone rifling through. Remember I had mentioned in last week's episode that I'm like, I wonder if he ends up with that little black book. Someone mm-hmm. uh, is walking around and rifles through the little black book. And it's all obviously all coded. I so think they, that's the example I read. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they throw it into that box, which is like not valuable or something like that. Because mm-hmm. Obviously, whoever's rifling through it can't translate it. So it's not valuable. And that's interesting. Uh, and of course, somebody on Reddit has deciphered the code in the bag. Holy cow. <laughs> and that's the last thing I wanted to bring up. A which cryptographer. Is like, <laughs> oh my exactly. goodness. And it's an actual code, you know, because of course the show does not of cheat. Course it is. actually come up with a real code and some interesting points that the, you know, that there's only a few pages that we've actually seen from here, but one of them, when you gets translated has Huel on there, which of course Saul already mm-hmm. knows. So that's not necessarily, uh, although maybe this guy's the one who connected them in the first place. A very interesting thing, because in Better Call Saul, the episode Better Call Saul of Breaking Bad, uh, Saul says, oh, who brought me out here? Was it Nacho? He seems to think Nacho is still alive. And the reason I mentioned that is because on one of the pages that uh, Saul looks at when he's trying to decipher this in that episode, last week's episode, that Nacho's name, you know, it's encrypted, obviously, but Nacho's name is crossed out on the page. So he seems to know this guy veterinarian to know that nacho is dead so he's already aware of this oh how grim crossing people out because they're dead <laughs> or, or gone i mean that's the other thing too right like they did kick him out of his yeah. apartment so i'm just thinking now that it could be possible like mm. he's not around anymore so it may not be and of course people say oh hey you know quality best quality vacuum repair but that one we were like you know, so that one was of not course. very much of a <laughs> not much hidden thing there. pretty literal yeah oh and i'm just looking at some of these other things that people said things you might have missed not the tequila stopper. We've spoken about that ad nauseum. So we definitely caught yes. that one. And the one thing that I brought briefly up, but I will bring it up again. Uh, this is just some, some funny show trivia. Is the Statue of Liberty from the Kettleman's is mm-hmm. indeed the same Statue of Liberty that they use the Better Call Saul on the roof. And the funniest part about it, <laughs> as far as production trivia goes, is that, you know, that um, balloon is like really old because they obviously shot the original yeah. Better Call Saul years ago. And they were trying to find a replacement. And they said they looked everywhere in the U.S. and everywhere in Canada, even. They could find no other one. So they had to patch the existing one and use it because they literally could not find another giant inflatable statue that matched that one. (laughs) And uh, oh, and one last thing that you might find interesting from the interview was because this is a mystery that we had. And I didn't want to call this out because it is one more interesting point, which is we had the question as to whether uh, Lalo's um, body double was uh you know coincidence a happenstance or whether this guy was literally there to be yes. his backdoor you know um body double if he ever needed uh, one yes and gould uh, um, peter gould said that's exactly what it is that peter gould said like nope he like you know invi- saw this guy he saw the similarity he invited him to be there you know he, he supported his family and everything you know had the dentist you know make their teeth look the same uh, all for the fact that he's like, one day, <laughs> if I ever need a body double, <laughs> this guy's taking my place. <laughs> so so anyway, just to show how criminal mastermind always thinking ahead. Exactly. But Gus apparently will get the better of him because he, uh, Gus is alive at the end of exactly. all this for sure. Exactly. So, I mean, I think it's probably useless to try to come up with any predictions for the second half, but do you have anything? How do you, how do you feel things are going to go? Like, what do you think is the immediate aftermath of this moment we see at the end of the show here? Well, not sure about the Lalo piece of it. And this isn't really looking forward so much as it is looking back, but 
I just feel like it's interesting, or at least it's interesting to me. I thought we had, you know, kind of left that plot with Michael McKeon with, with Jimmy's brother in the past of Better Call Saul. But I just felt like there were so many parallels here yeah. as to the effect that Jimmy has on people, the way his capers have reached so much havoc in other people's lives, the way that like, I mean, I think it's arguable that indirectly he caused that suicide, right? By bringing yeah. him to such a low place, even oh, yeah, though absolutely. certainly there were a lot of other factors there. And now indirectly he's caused this guy to die too. Oh, yes. to die yes. too. So like, I guess what's most interesting to me is not really forward looking, but looking back at how these themes are repeating themselves, because I really thought, um, I didn't think we were like revisiting that idea and I don't mind revisiting that idea. I just wasn't expecting it. So I'm, I'm interested in that, the way they have repeated that pattern. I think you need to, <laughs> I hadn't really thought about this till you just say it right now, but I do think that you're right, that they're circling back. And I think you oftentimes have to do that when you get to the end of a show. But I also think that it is uh, necessary because the one time you see Kim questioning her alliance with Saul is called Saul's callous, uh, callousness to uh, Chuck's death. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think this is going to be, you know, it's going to take her right back there and maybe even more because now she feels like she is. I mean, I think she had to probably feel because she helped him with that con on Chuck that she has to feel partially responsible for what happened to Chuck. But Chuck, I think, was probably suicidal anyway. Right. Um, I agree. Yes. And then you see uh, in this circumstance, I'm like, she definitely must feel like she's partially responsible for what's happened to Howard. No, there's no it's doubt about it. She knew Lala was alive and she didn't yes. tell anybody. Yes, exactly. So I feel like what I originally thought, you know, and expressed irritation with is like, oh, the zany caper, it's getting a bit much. It ended up being so much more of like a character development and character study yeah than I had realized. And so right. I'm really interested in how they kind of turn that around on me in a way that I didn't really see coming. Well, you have six weeks to, or seven weeks <laughs> to uh, rewatch these episodes now and think <laughs> about that context. Now when you're That's right. What do you think? <laughs> what are your impressions? I was thinking more like plot wise. I'm thinking that, you know, Lalo's probably going to have to blackmail them. I don't know how they're going to get rid of Howard's body. They're going to have to do something. To right. I was them. wondering that too. Uh, Jimmy's probably going to have to throw Gus under the bus to some extent and tell him some of the stuff that happened. You know, he's not going to believe his desert story anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. And he knows that, you know, he can just shoot him. And I think mm -hmm. that's what he's afraid of. I don't think he's necessarily afraid of dying at that moment. He's afraid of dying. And then what's going to happen to Kim, you know, uh, mm. after he's gone. Uh, and obviously does not want to see get, uh, Kim get killed and feel responsible for that. So it's, it's, that's going to be his main motivator to probably uh, manipulate or, or you should say try to coordinate this attack from Lalo onto Mike and Gus. But, you know, I'm sure he will do his slip and Jimmy thing and uh, mm -hmm. figure out a way to work both sides of this, basically. So he thinks that Lalo's on his side. And at the same time, he is somehow raising a flag to Mike to warn him that something's coming. And I do, I do think that the Lalo storyline will probably wrap up, I would guess, within the first two or three episodes of mm -hmm, the next mm -hmm. season. I can't imagine them dragging it out to the end. I, I don't think it's, uh, there's too much other stuff that they need to figure out. And um, and we, we all just assume that Lalo has to die at some point. So I think they just need to have him go out in a way that is true to his character and, uh, you know, not in some cheap way. But I mean, that's my, that's my guess. Yeah, well, I mean, we definitely know 
can work backwards a little bit, right? Because of who we know <laughs> makes it into Breaking Bad and the state that they seem to be in. But obviously he figures out something. Another a tidbit of information that you may find interesting here. I only found this out today because they were advertising it during the actual show. But apparently starting tomorrow, I think it's tomorrow, AMC Plus subscribers, I am not an AMC Plus subscriber, but AMC Plus subscribers will get an animated Slip and Jimmy show about the scams he pulled with his friends when he was a kid. So I'm curious to see. That's kind of cute. I'm curious to see how that plays out. It's very funny, by the way, once again, that they're like, you know, very much when you look at the bonus material for Better Call Saul, they have like these Pollos Hermanos advertisements and stuff like that that you can watch on the website. It's very entertaining. And the bonus material is so comically uh over the top and so zany and the show can oftentimes be so utterly dark you know like we yes, about chuck suicide truly. and then yes. the bonus material is like a pollos hermanos ad or something like so hmm, funny i don't know if that was appropriate <laughs> in this particular episode <laughs> Not too all right so we will wait and see how that goes uh once again a july 11th <laughs> that's right july 11th uh a reminder that we will be covering Obi-Wan Kenobi, which will be on Wednesdays starting next week, but this week it's on Fridays and Stranger Things is also coming out on Friday and the Top Gun movie is coming out on Friday. It's, it's, I don't understand why they're putting all this nerd content out at the exact same time. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's a holiday weekend though, right? So I guess you have it a chance is. to catch up on these things if you wanted to. And I'm not a Star Wars fan at this point with their TV productions, but I got to say they advertised it right now during this uh, it better call Soul episode that it, this one really looks good. So I don't know. Well, I will have my opinion of it later this week. I'll have some <laughs> content out there. They'll have two episodes this week. So we will be covering that. And uh, Sona and I will find out something. Oh, by the way, I don't like watching trailers. So I had not seen the trailer to the black phone. That's right. But it was on this episode. It. <laughs> exactly. So I did see it. And that looks creepy as heck as well. Mm-hmm. And I don't get creeped out by much, honestly. So, so we'll have to, uh, probably watch that as well so there'll be something more so yeah sona will be around at some point we'll find something to talk about there's so many i'm always around (laughs) (laughs) whether people uh, want to hear me or not (laughs) (laughs) you add that extra insight so ah very sweet thank you all right so i hope you guys enjoy that i uh if you're getting this early this will be i'm going to post this exactly as we just spoke <laughs> so we just posted exactly like this <laughs> and then i might have a cleaned up version of this reposted tomorrow but uh for now if you're catching this early this is just our immediate reactions and boy what an exciting episode this was and a sad one for howard but uh, uh rest in peace yes r.i.p howard you know i didn't know i'd miss i'd miss you but i think i do i think i'm gonna miss that's him a little right bit. I, i'm with you i agree <laughs> All right. Get some sleep. Okay. I'll talk to you later. Talk to you later. Bye.